We thank you for the gift of life and creativity and energy, of love and friendship. And we thank you for your good purpose for all that you have made. We pray this morning you will help us dig a little bit deeper and to own that a little more securely for ourselves. In Christ's name. Amen. This morning, the invitation I received from uh, Debbie uh, was to speak this morning about uh, an exciting and I think in Guildford terms, an innovative venture that uh, my wife and I, Sue and I, are part of and a good number of other people in the centre of Guildford that we call Common Ground. It has a home uh, at St Mary's Church in the centre of town, but it is not the congregation there. It is uh, a group alongside the the congregation there. Uh, We had an away day together right here just uh, a week ago um, in your church hall. And um, so uh, thank you for that. Thank you for your continuing invitation to uh, come and refresh ourselves here. This morning, uh, I would like to talk about common ground, and uh, I will do so. I I want to put it in a certain setting that's provided by our readings this morning, particularly the two from uh, the book of Acts. Uh, There are two Antiochs mentioned in the book of Acts. One is in what we would now call Turkey. And the more significant Antioch is in Syria and would be in Syria and is in Syria today um, and is up in the top right-hand corner, sort of up in the elbow of the Mediterranean. Right up there in the corner is the city of Antioch. And in the first century... It was the third city of the Roman Empire. It was a big place. Uh, After Rome and Alexandria, Antioch was the next big metropolis uh, of the Roman Empire. It uh, was the capital city of the whole of Syria, which was the whole eastern end of the Mediterranean. It was connected with Seleucus, which uh, is mentioned in in Acts there, that Paul and Barnabas went down there, uh, which was a big port, And so it was a big port city. It was very cosmopolitan. Uh, It very probably had a a synagogue and a Jewish population, but its main characteristic was that it was very, very diverse. Greek speakers, um, a Roman administration, people from uh, all over the Mediterranean world and from the east, from as far afield as Persia. Huge cosmopolitan place. And it's the focus of some really important stories in in Acts. Rather surprisingly, in a way, because it's a long way from Jerusalem. I was looking at the map, and by road it would have been something like 300 miles. So it was quite a way. But it plays a really crucial part in Luke's narrative. Luke's burning concern in the book of Acts is to demonstrate how the gospel of a Jewish Messiah, the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, is in fact not a tribal thing, it's not a national thing, it's not a cultural thing, it's actually an event in human history that is for everyone, without exception. And you get, uh, on the day of Pentecost, Luke records how 
very probably uh, Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, but present at the day of Pentecost were people from all kinds of nationalities and all kinds of parts of the ancient world. And from there on, you, many of you would know this very, very well, we have uh, the story of the conversion of Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the, the apostle to the nations of the world. And then there's the conversion of Peter uh, out of his Jewish blinkers to recognize that a Roman centurion could be uh, included in God's purposes. And then we have these, this story around, around Antioch. The, the foundation of the story is the, uh, is the trial and the death of Stephen in Jerusalem and then the, uh, a persecution mounted against uh, Jewish Christians predominantly um, in, in Jerusalem. It was so severe that they scattered and part of the dynamic of Acts is what happens when they scattered and there are accounts of what happened in uh, Samaria and in around, around Jerusalem when they, when they left the city. But we read that a, a, a group of them went much further afield, a long way actually, 300 miles north to Antioch. And uh, some of them came from that, that region. We're told some of them came from Cyprus um, and some came from Antioch itself, probably Greek-speaking, Greek-speaking Jews. And those who fled Jerusalem, we record, it's recorded, spoke just to Jews about the message of Jesus. But this group, finding themselves in Antioch, found themselves in a totally different context, a totally new setting. Totally different to Jerusalem, which, whilst there were people from many, many countries there, was overwhelmingly Jewish in culture and Jewish in, 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 its, in its character, in its DNA. But Antioch was a different kettle of fish. Had people from all over the world. A, bus, a busy a commercial centre, a busy port, full of business, full of different cultures, languages. And they were under investigation. They were being asked, well, what brings you here? Why are you here? And they began to tell the story of Jesus. They began to tell the story of his resurrection. And they began to tell the story of how his resurrection declared him to be Lord of all, Lord of all human societies, Lord of all contexts. And the most extraordinary thing happened because people from all kinds of contexts began to inquire and begin to absorb this story and begin to react to it and respond to it. And there was a gathering. Would you call it a church? Well, it was a different kind of church to anything anyone had seen before. It was a ragtag of people from all kinds of backgrounds and people who did not have the faintest clue of the background to this story. They were not rooted in the Old Testament. They couldn't have told you anything from the difference between Abraham and Moses and David. They couldn't have told you anything about this. They were at zero. And there was this new community of people there who were somehow beginning to work out what it might mean to make Jesus Lord in a context where there were many, many lords to follow and where Caesar tried to uh, uh, gather it all under his authority. And it was a totally unprecedented kind of community. Unprecedented in all sorts of ways because religion in the ancient world was a tribal thing, a family thing, sometimes a national thing. For the Romans, it was an imperial thing. 
It was about politics and political loyalty. It could be a secret society. The one thing it was not was something that was wholly inclusive, crossed all frontiers, and brought together people of all kinds of backgrounds in a community that was missional in the sense that it was all about outreach. It was all about reaching new people. It was inclusive in that everybody was welcome to join in and explore what being a disciple of Jesus might mean. And it was committed to its place. It was missional, it was inclusive, and it was local. That was a revolution. And it has hallmarked the Christian church ever since. And it is the hallmark of you as as a people. You have that same DNA. It is, in a sense, the DNA of of a parish church. It's missional, it's committed to sharing the message of Jesus, it's committed to drawing people to faith in Christ, it's inclusive of people of every kind, no one is exempt from the call of the message and from membership in the community. It's completely open and it's local. The church in Jerusalem was so shocked and shaken by by this development, they sent Barnabas to check it out. Totally different to the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas decided that the grace of God was at work. But he also recognized that these people were starting at zero. And so he sent for Saul, who's been off the picture for about ten years, back in his home city of Tarsus in in Turkey, and brings him down. And we read that for about a year they taught people. And you can see why that was really essential because these people had no foundations, no foundations in the monotheism of Israel, no no foundations in Israel's conviction about the creator God, no rooting in the story of Abraham and the history of Israel, no no rooting in the story of Jesus. So they had a busy year. Okay, hold that. That's one really vital image of church, one really vital image understanding of what church authentically is. And every time a group that calls itself church is not missional, is not inclusive, and is not genuinely local, it is undermining its real calling in the world. But buried in this story, there is a second kind of Christian community. Uh, That first one, I imagine you you have, many of you have some familiarity with as a model of Christian community and Christian life. Chapter 13 takes us to a slightly different place and about the formation of another kind of Christian community. This one is not, it is missional. All Christian community is about mission. This is about a missional community, but it is not in its essential nature inclusive. It does not involve anybody and everybody. And it is certainly not limited to being local. It is a different kind of community. And it's formed in a different kind of way. We read that the leaders of the church, in those early churches, leadership was quite charismatic. It was about prophets and teachers. It was about prophets who were able to discern God's way forward for a community. It was about the teachers who held the heritage and rooted it in the the story of God's purpose. They met, and it is the work of the Spirit to stir them up. This story begins not with persecution and flight 
and people sharing the gospel as they went. This begins with the specific action of the Holy Spirit in stirring up the leadership of the church. And we read that the, it is the Spirit who says, I am calling certain people, I want to set them apart, and I want to send them out. And the story we are familiar with, I just want you to just, in your mind, sort of just sense how distinct that is as a formation of community from the, uh, the story of the formation of the church in Antioch. It's interesting that in, in the same place, both forms of Christian community take place. And the second one is about, it's, not, it's about the selection, it's about the stirring up of the Holy Spirit, it's about people being called out, it's about people being uh, commissioned with hands laid on and sent out to a new task. That's the beginning of a really decisive uh, pattern in the book of Acts and in Christian history. And Christian history can be told in one sense as the story of those two kinds of community, the parish model, if you like, missional, inclusive, local. And another kind of missional community that is called out, commissioned and sent. Now, I'm not sure that the significance of the second one has been fully appreciated. Scholars in more recent years have begun to work with both those models. There's some technical language used about it that I won't bother you with because I don't find it helpful myself, but we'll call them A and B uh, in order not to get too confused. Model B has been the cutting edge of the growth of the Christian movement over the last 2,000 years. If Model A is about being missional in your community, being missional in a pastoral and discipling sense, Model B is about crossing frontiers, reaching new territory, reaching places where the gospel hasn't reached and where it might not reach. It is, in a sense, a task force called out, set apart, and sent out. Now that term set apart is an interesting one because I think that's the contrast with type A. Type A is not about being set apart. Type A is about an embrace and a welcome that includes absolutely everybody because it is when everyone is together in their diversity that they demonstrate to the world God's new humanity and God's kingdom. Type B is about people being set apart for frontier crossing ministries. Paul kept that pattern going through his, his ministry throughout the book of Acts and implied through his letters uh, we see that he, oh, he invariably had a mission band, we might call it, a group of people whom the Spirit brought together, people who were included in this teamwork, people open to the calling of the Spirit, people who were always crossing frontiers of one kind or another. It was Paul's pattern. And we see it through history. You see it in the, uh, the pattern of the Celtic monks crossing from Ireland to Scotland, from Scotland to Northern England, from Northern England into Europe, and eventually as far as Switzerland. Groups called out, provoked by the Spirit, uh, to cross frontiers and, and bring the gospel to new places. You see it in the monasteries through the Middle Ages. You see it in the early Catholic 
missions, the Jesuits in, uh, in Goa, in India, in China, uh, in Japan. You see it later on in the Protestant missionary movement. Uh, uh, Sue and I have been members of the Church Mission Society for much of our working life, and we see it there, a, cent- a group, a fellowship, called out, part of the church, deeply committed to the church, in good relationship with the church in every way, but set apart and commissioned by the Spirit for frontier crossing ministry. Frontier crossing in various senses. Frontier crossing in, in, the sen- in a geographical sense, certainly, but frontier crossing in terms of culture and class and age, social categories of every kind. And, and carrying through in, into, into our own times too. I think as I, I was preparing this and I was thinking my way through all kinds of current organizations which in a sense still carry this. Uh, OM, YM, uh, the YMCA, uh, uh, the Youth with a Mission, um, mission societies and organizations of our present day. One thing I think is important to the biblical story and which is not always manifested in these groups, is accountability. And one distinctive feature of the group that was set up through the work of the Spirit in Antioch was that it remained accountable to its parent. And Paul and Barnabas went off on what we call Paul's first missionary journey, and they came back to Antioch and reported on all that had happened and were recommissioned to go again. So these are not uh, Christian community, two kinds of Christian community that have no connection. They are intimately connected. They are connected by their common calling uh, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to be missional communities. And the type B uh, is the one that should always remain accountable to the church that gives it birth. Now, Uh, I hope that makes some kind of sense to you and you might want to debate with me a bit about it afterwards. I think that has become a pattern of Christian history and you can see it through through Christian history. In a small way, what we're trying to do with Common Ground in, in Guildford is type B. It's not a big venture. It's an experiment. We don't know where it will go. But this, the story is a little bit like this. I better check my watch, haven't I? A few more minutes. <laughs> um, the story goes a little bit like this. That St. Mary's Church in the centre of Guildford, um, its congregation was, was declining, getting smaller. And there were just big questions about what is this precious building? It's Guildford's oldest building. It's Anglo-Saxon in origin. It's got many beauties about it. What, what's its future? And a vision emerged. And this is where it connects with me with type B in Acts 13. Because the vision emerged, what if we drew a community of people together from various churches in Guildford, not leaving their churches, remaining part of their churches, accountable to their churches, but coming together because they felt God was calling them into a distinctive mission for our town, 
a mission in our town which was not about replicating what uh, our churches do, not about repeating it, not even about extending it, but actually under God, creatively reaching new places, crossing frontiers. Not particularly geographical frontiers, though perhaps Guildford has its geographical frontiers in certain senses, but, but more about the frontiers of the business community, the professions, our town authorities, the borough council, the police, the fire brigade, uh, the schools, um, the whole sweep of Guildford society that actually has no connection with, with church at all. And so the vision behind Common Ground is not to be another quasi little church in the centre of town. The vision is to cross frontiers that otherwise the, the churches of the town never quite reach. To actually add value in that sense and to do something distinctive and new. Well, it's a fine vision. We're still new on the road. We met for a year, those who were interested in this, to debate and to discuss and to pray and to listen, to enter into that kind of process you get in Acts 13 uh, and to try to discern what kind of community is God calling us to, what kind of mission is God calling us to. And then last September, so it's only a few months that we've actually been on the road, as it were, um, we had a commitment service. And by the time the service came, I knew who was involved, but I I had no idea how many people were going to gather around this vision. And in in a sense, it didn't matter, because it was all about who is God going to call into this venture, if, if it is of him. And on that day, 20 people stood and took promises before God and to each other to pray together and to pray in their homes, to meet together and to go together in mission. And a further ten who were utterly sold up, utterly bought into this vision, but for different reasons were unable to actually live it out at this moment. Um, also identified themselves with those promises. So it was about so it was 30 people. I, was, I thought that was extraordinary, an enormous start. I would have gladly started with six, or whoever. Um, the mission band of Acts 13 is, is two. What have we done? Well, we meet monthly for a community meeting to build community and to build our understanding of our calling and mission. We've had a couple of away days. We had one here just a week or so ago, looking at what kind of community will flow out into a life of mission. And uh, we will have more away days. Uh, we meet variously for, for prayer around special, special times. And we've identified five, what we call them, streams, because... This is about frontier crossing, or it is, in a sense, taking Christian presence and witness in in Guildford to a a place that has been a bit elusive, which, for one reason or another, we've not quite reached before. 
And we've identified five streams that we want to pursue in that regard. The first one is actually um, around St. Mary's itself and about keeping St. Mary's open as much as we can and making it available to the people of the town, the people who work there, the people who visit, the tourists, whoever may be passing by uh, as a place of quiet and prayer and meditation and a place where people can encounter God and where we have people there who can just, as, as possibilities arise, enter into conversation and discussion. Quite a lot has happened around that, which I, I could describe. The second one is about faith and our workplaces and is about helping, uh, uh, resourcing people to be um, uh, more aware, more uh, intentional and more effective as a Christian presence in their workplace. The third one is around faith and the arts. And we've already done a number of things about, which are about trying to find a new language, as it were, a new way of express, uh, expressing Christian truth, of introducing the gospel to people in ways that are fresh and new, at the moment mainly through the visual arts, but uh, we have in mind all the different arts. This might be at St. Mary's, it might be in other places. We're interested in working with uh, parish churches and other churches around the town to help them um, develop fresh expressions of the Christian story through the arts. The fourth one is about going deeper in prayer and offering to people the uh, opportunity to explore being in God's presence and open to God's truth in various ways. And the final one, we're calling uh, uh, St. Mary, calling Common Ground on the Edge, because we're aware all those things could still be very churchy, if we weren't careful. And so on the edge is about trying to remind ourselves of the need to be out in fresh places to not lose sight of our vision of crossing frontiers. And uh, our present um, uh, our freshest beginning in that regard is beginning night church and at St. Mary's uh, once a month uh, from 7 o'clock through to about midnight St. Mary's is open and we do a variety of things there to engage with uh, people on on the streets. Uh, A week ago we had 50 people there, almost all of them totally unconnected with church. Perhaps I'll stop a a little moment. It's okay. And just uh, a minute to round up. Um... It's been a really encouraging, really encouraging start, but it's early days and we're, we're just looking for God's leading and directing uh, and seeking to be faithful to the vision we were given at the outset. It's something that is, we want to be woven into the life of many churches around Guildford. It's, it's not in any way threatening or sheep stealing or drawing people away it's about uh, enlarging what you and other churches might have a stake in and uh, uh, I'd love to talk about that with people Um, and uh, there may be people here who'd be interested in um, joining that circle or at least meeting with us for a while to see whether God is calling you into participating in this Um, 
There we are. I managed to look at my watch once. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank you. What I would say is, if you don't know St. Mary's Church, firstly, find it. Um, because it's an amazing building, as Andy said, the oldest building in Guildford. And the sense of history of worship in that place is quite phenomenal. But that sense of those two models of church, you know, we wonder about those things ourselves. It was much clearer articulated than I could ever articulate, so thank you so much. But we understand what it means to be parish church. But we have a sense that God is saying there are boundaries and frontiers that we're not crossing. And what you're doing is exploring how do we begin to cross some of those boundaries and frontiers. A hundred years ago, we didn't need to think about that as a parish church because everybody came to church and how life has changed. And so we need to be thinking creatively and to learn from a group of people who are experimenting. It would be really helpful to us and encouraging to us. But Andy will be around over coffee. Sue is here as well. If you'd like to just find out a little bit more about what's going on, Guildford's not far from here. For me, it still feels a bit like home, but you know, you may not think of it like that, but it's not far away. And to just hear of something that's happening in Guildford itself, to talk to Andy or Sue afterwards. We are all called to be missional, to be inclusive, to be local, but also to take God's message beyond all the frontiers that we inadvertently have created.